All right, well, I love that song, Champion, and I, had, <clears throat> I haven't heard in a bit, but um, I love how, you know, that line, he fights for us, he fights for us, and each one of us, how special and important we are that he would, every moment of our journey, I could, I could have a long list of things, like we talked about last night with Sarah, that the enemy would try to say, look like this, but I could say, but look what God did with it. He took beauty, he took ashes and he created beauty. And he took ashes and he created beauty. You know, I, maybe I think I've shared with you guys before, but I lived in 20 different homes before I was 18 in eight different household units. So there's been some people who've come to me and said, were you orphan? You know, were you, a, were you a orphan or were you a foster child? Or were you, you know, what was your situation? I said, no, there's just a lot of discombobulated, dysfunctional things going on. And I moved a lot. Well, so now in my life, you know, when people go, how do you do what you do? Like, really? How do you do what you do? I go, you know, God took ashes and he made beauty. He's using it for his glory. And my life now and my moving is for a purpose, for a passion. And I cannot live and breathe without living with purpose and passion. And each of us are made to fulfill a unique, amazing place in the body and there is a sphere of influence that you have that is so important that you walk in and recognize and you see and understand that God has placed around you in your marketplace ministry in your comings and going with your children oh I'm, I'm a real advocate for parenting I'm a big advocate for parenting. I don't even know if some of the things that I would like to say sometimes would go over real well in this current climate of culture, but I'm real big on parenting. Whatever your sphere of influence is, he desires all of you. I said last night to Amy, I said, he wants what he paid for. He wants all of you. And we give him all of us. When we set aside time, and a place to come and join together. You know, this isn't country club Christianity, as I call it. There is nothing that, that is, there's nothing enticing to country club Christianity because it's like what Diana said. It would be a place where people would be sitting at a table and it's hard for somebody to just figure out how to get in. You know, if you went to a country club, if you've ever been to a country club, if you're part of a country club, you know, you walk in and, you know, those people, they know where they're at. They know what they're doing. They have an intended reason to be there. They're going to either relax and enjoy because it's been a hard work week, or they're going to get together with other business people that they're planning on structuring something. Or, so they're going to come together, and they've gotten great benefits, or they've paid a lot of money, and they know what their intentions are. And to go in and just go, hey, excuse me, can I hang out with you guys? They might look at you and go, I'm sorry, who invited you? Right? This is not country club Christianity. This is not a place for just us. This is a place where the house, I believe God, that the next women's conference will be full. But it'll be full because we do what? We do, we are, in our sphere of influence, we're doing what we need to be doing to bring in another person. Amen? All right, so this morning, oh, I need my phone too. I'm sorry. Um, good morning, Jesus. <laughs> How are you today? Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you a quote this morning from President Lincoln. 
maybe you've heard it before. Uh, actually, I'm going to tell you a little story. President Abraham Lincoln, an incredible communicator, was known during the Civil War to attend a church not far from the White House on Wednesday nights. The preacher, Dr. Gurley, allowed the president to sit in the pastor's study with the door open to the chancel so he could listen to the sermon without having to interact with the crowd. One Wednesday evening, as Lincoln and a companion walked back to the White House after the sermon, the president's companion asked, what did you think of tonight's sermon? Well, Lincoln responded, it was brilliantly conceived, biblical, relevant, and well presented. So it was a great sermon. No, Lincoln replied, it failed. It failed because Dr. Gurley did not ask us to do something great. Inspiring communicators always expect a lot from their listeners. So if we come together and we have a party, and years ago I actually shared at a Bible study, I think that Christy was at, and I said, you can have your cake, but you need to share it too. And this isn't a place where we just come party and then we leave and go, that was great. I feel way better. Like, I'm encouraged. I'm blessed. I'm strengthened. Yeah, I'm back on board. Or, you know, I'm a, I'm a step closer to, you know, understanding that this fight, God's in it for me. Yes, but even if you've been born again two weeks, two months, two years, 20 years, God has intended that you go help someone else with what you're getting. Amen? So Abraham Lincoln said it. He said it wasn't great because it didn't expect the listeners to do anything. So to this morning, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to put a challenge out. Will you become all that you are in Christ so someone else can experience the same life-saving power that you have experienced? Amen? You have a sister, a brother, a coworker, a friend that needs you. The master has need of you. He needs your freedom to translate into freedom for others. He needs your disciplined life to be discipling someone else. He needs the ashes you've brought to him to turn to beauty. Amen? Let's go to um, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. You guys know it very well. I like the two different versions of it. You know, the thing is, is God needs you. you there's, he needs you in education. He needs you in government. He needs you in media and arts. He needs you in all of these places. There are many places of influence, and he needs us in every single place of influence. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, please. There's two different ones that I like. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Do you have the other version for me as well, please? Without revelation, my people cast off restraint. So, you know, oftentimes when I'm teaching my daughters about how important it is to be walking in the ways of the Lord, I would describe to them like a baby blanket. How restraint is like a baby blanket. Now, actually, I'll, I'll go a little further. Restraint could be for one who is harmful to themselves, something that restrains them in way of not hurting themselves or hurting others, right? I hate to use the example, but you know, like a straight jacket, right? What they used to you know, put them in to keep them from hurting themselves and others. But this restraint for us believers is like a baby blanket. It's like swaddling, comfort, 
close, tender. You know, like a baby just goes to, a new baby goes to like scratch themselves, you know, kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you're swaddled, you're kept, you're comforted. His, his, hi, there he is again. So he, he's keeping you, he's, um, he's keeping you, he's, um, you're, you're wrapped up in his love. You know, without a vision, my people cast off restraint. Oftentimes, whenever there comes a situation that you've been facing that's difficult, it's the time that you would cast off restraint if you didn't have that vision, right? If you didn't have that go-ahead, if you didn't have that goal. Pastor Amy and I were just talking about how, um, you know, going on a trip, I said, yeah, if, that, if, if the goal at the end was going biking as my activity, I would really enjoy the first part better by getting to go biking at the end. That would be my vision, right? My, my vision that would keep me focused on, okay, I can do this first part better. And so for me, there's been many challenging times. And when they've come, I've needed that certainty of what God's called me to and the space he's called me to, to make it um, doable to move forward. So what is your vision? And have you written down, it down? And have you made it plain? And this doesn't mean that you know everything, but this means that you know something. Where are you at right now? What do you enjoy right now? What brings you pleasure right now? Where does that joy bubble up and give you strength to go forward and to help someone else? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So it's like when I'm parenting, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And if my joy is, then my children would probably be affected by my joy being busted up, right? So then I need to go back to the Lord and find joy because I'm going to parent better when I'm in joy. You're going to do whatever it is that you're doing better in joy. So where do you find joy? I'm not saying that God doesn't ask you to do hard things because he does. He absolutely does. We see that time and time and time again through the Bible. We know there were hard things to be done. But without revelation, my people cast off restraint. So what's your bottom line? This is a question that we constantly ask in our family. What's our bottom line? What is it that we're actually doing this for? What are we expecting to get out of it? So again, I refer back to what I teach my children. Is it popularity? Is it possessions? Is it performance-based? What is your reason for doing what you're doing? Well, for me, it's the precious fruit of the earth. For Jesus, it was too. He was able to go the length and to fulfill his call and to do the hard things because the precious fruit of the earth did some of those people that he lived amongst give him a hard time? Yes, they did. Did his disciples doubt and not believe, and he had to encourage them and strengthen them and pull them for? Yes, he did. Where there's people, I say to my children, there are also armpits. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I mean. But Jesus did not 
He had vision. He had a heavenly vision to go forward. He had a reason to live. What is your vision? Where are you at? Who can you help? I like the story about he leaves the 99 to find the one. Over and over, three times, I think, what, twice, Mark, um, I don't write it down, but Luke and Matthew. You know, the emphasis is not on leaving the 99. The emphasis is on finding the one. The 99, he's not um, letting go of or abandoning. He's very much a present help for them. But he says, I want the one. So our champion that fights for us fought for the one. He he fought for the one. And if each of us got up and told the story of how he fought for us, he fought for the one. I was a one. I was a one on my senior trip in Myrtle Beach, had been the sprinklings of the gospel throughout my life. And at 18, I was acting a fool on my senior trip and was handed track after track, talked to Christian after Christian, stuck the tracks in my back pocket because I didn't believe you should litter. <laughs> Pulled the track out at a time where a friend was not having subsequent situations from her decisions. And I read the track and I thought, what am I doing? Threw the track down. My mom had gotten born again just about five years earlier, asked me to come to her church. I came one time. I said, they're nuts. I'm not going ever back. I'm not ever going back there again. That was the very place that I ended up going. I got back off that senior trip, went to that church, got saved, fired up, and I was at every conference. I mean, if there was a women's conference, I was there. If there was a marriage, divorce, and remarriage conference, I was there. If there was a spirit-filled missions conference, I was there. Whatever, whatever thing they had, I was there. I was one that he found. You were one that he found. He will leave all of us, not abandon us, not disregard us, not forget about us, not ignore us, not meet our needs. No, no, he's, he's meeting our needs. He's an ever-present. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he's going to go find the one. So what's your bottom line? My bottom line is not popularity, performance, or possessions. They do not motivate me. I have come to realize they don't motivate me. Do I enjoy them? Sure. Sure, I do, just like anybody else but I don't enjoy them enough that they actually can make me go forward. At the end of the day, they are not the reason I can say, I want to live to be 100. I want to see the precious fruit of the earth come in. I want him to help somebody else's life like he helped mine. And you know what we have to do? We have to do like Sarah. We have to look back and see what God did in order to stir up within us the reason that we're living in order for the reason that we would go help somebody else. Because when we understand the depths of what he did for us, there is no way that we could pass by people and not tell them about our Jesus. Deep is calling to deep. And he's saying, I want what I purchased. I want, I want what I gave my life for. I want. So I'm going to give you a few examples of my life. 
not because anything else other than I was led to give you these stories. I'm not, I'm not trying to show off. I don't, I'm not trying to like, you know, talk about me. I'm, I'm just trying to turn you to the way that the Lord's led us and give you some examples. Maybe strike something, spark something in you that goes, oh yeah, I could do it like that. Oh yeah, that's something interesting. Oh yeah, I'll try that. And maybe some that you'd go, I'm so glad that I don't have to do that. I'll help them do it. Okay? So my first one is Ukraine. Years ago, 1998, went to the Ukraine. Kiev and then Sumy. Just after the Berlin Wall had fallen. Well, a few years after the Berlin Wall had fallen. But the results were still very dark. So we came to begin doing youth outreaches, youth evangelistic campaigns. And we got there, and I mean, you had to buy like your eggs, and then you had to go and buy your bread. And they would not let you buy anything more than one thing. So I come in as American, and I'm like, you know, gathering at my stuff, and they're like, no, 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 put everything back. Like, what are you doing? Well, so we're there. We come a long ways. We're there for six weeks. My husband lost like 20 pounds in six weeks because we ate borscht every single day. Um, he told me, I came a little later than him. He was, there, he was there six weeks. I was there for four weeks. I came a little later than him, and he said, please bring, it wasn't Fruit Loops, <laughs> but it was something like that, and he would remember the detail. Frosted Flakes, that's what it was. It was Frosted Flakes. He said, bring me a box of Frosted Flakes. And he said, when you get here, we're going to McDonald's. And I was like, have you lost your mind? Like, are you okay? He said, you'll see when you get here. I said, all right. So I brought Frosted Flakes. So we ate borscht every day. Borscht and peppers. Who's from Ukraine here? I know we have Ukraine family here. What year did you come here? 94. Okay, so I was there in 97. So... We, so whenever we, so we ate, so he lost 20 pounds. So we went into, they took us on a tour. And, um, and things are very different. Well, okay, so now the, everything just happened. But before this war just happened, everything was very, very different. It became a very beautiful, bustling sort of, you know, I mean, European, seemed European to me, town. So, um, so anyway, so, we, so he lost this weight. He, he was preaching, doing these campaigns, doing these outreaches, and we were invited to these catacombs. And I've talked about this at one other service, but we, we went through these catacombs. Have you ever been through a catacomb? Yeah? So I wasn't very happy once we got in the catacomb. <laughs> so a catacomb is where all the dead are buried. Do you know what a catacomb is? It's where all the dead are buried. You're underground. So we started walking through them, and we're lined up. And I mean, this is something really special, you know, that the pastor is taking us and he's, he's showing us. And I'm like, what in the world was I thinking saying yes to this? Right? So I'm walking and I said, Cliff, the, the ceiling's low. It's dripping water. I'm in tight spaces. And we're already kind of maxed out because we've been eating borscht every day. <laughs> so I'm a little like, you know, Physically, I'm a little bit strained here, okay? And so I, um, I'm walking through the catacombs, and all of a sudden I just go, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, i got to get out of here. And we've got people in the front, and we've got people in the back. And I'm like, i got to get out of here right now. And he's like, praying tongues right now. 
And I'm in the, and I'm in the catacombs, and, and I'm just roll. I mean, I'm going, I'm thinking, well, if people aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit in here, man, they might be by the time that we're out of here. So I, so we're, so we're, so we keep walking through, you know, and he said, focus on the end, focus on the fact that we're going to get out. Don't focus on where you are right now. Focus on the fact that you're going to get out of here. Focus on the fact that you're going to be, and you know, I mean, I'm telling you, when you look back on it, in the situation that the country was in then, my sister-in-law's from Romania, so we talk even more in depth about some of the things that her family and what they went through, but the, the thing is, is that then that, that, that borscht actually sounded really good to me. I mean, I'm not trying to make light. I'm just trying to say sometimes your perspective is really bad. Are you with me? Sometimes you're complaining about what you have, and you need to say, thank God I have what I have. Hallelujah. I had a place to sleep. I had great hostesses. I had an amazing people to work with in Ukraine. I had flights to get there. We had a vehicle to get around. It was amazing. There were sunflower fields all around that I got to look at. It was amazing. But you know what? I went through those catacombs and I went, okay, now this is not where I want to be. And that my perspective was wrong. Without a vision, people will cast off restraint. Right in the middle of that catacomb, I could have went, done, get out of my way. You mean, I could have just, right? And just said, forget it. But instead, I ended up learning some things in the catacombs. I did. I learned some things. I didn't want to be there. It wasn't a great place to be. But I ended up learning some things about what they did and how they did and about their culture and about the country and about why. And I grew. We can grow right now. Wherever we are, we can grow right now. Put your vision down. Make it plain. Don't cast off restraint. There's a people that need you. Jordan, I'll try to go through these pretty quickly because I don't remember what time I started. Um, Jordan, we got to um, Israel. We were looking into doing some um, you, um, conferences. We were looking into some, some possibilities of doing some conferences. Um, with, our, with, some, with our directors, and um, we ended up meeting up with this woman, totally by the Holy Ghost, who was a Rhema grad and an incredible, well-known artist, and ended up, she was from Sweden, and she had raised like 16 orphans in her house in Israel. I mean, you talk about the things that happened by the Holy Ghost, right, Olivia? I mean, it's just amazing, right? And you're in, we're in there with her, and we stayed the couple nights that we needed to, and then we were like, okay, it's time to go, and so we, um, and that's the short of the story, but we went to go get a hotel elsewhere, and we thought we found a really good price in Jerusalem. Well, the Marriott app actually will put a lot of places on and say it's a city, and then it can be actually someplace that's really far. And at that point, we just weren't paying attention that it could be in another country. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. So we literally got to the point where we got in the cab and we're going to our destination, thinking that it was somewhere within Israel, not too far, because it was such a great price. It said 99. We were like, wow, let's go. The other ones were saying 605. So we're like, it's worth it. Let's go. Well, we get to the, the, the taxi cab driver drops us off at like a border control. And we're like, what it, where are we? What is going on? We're actually on our way to Iraq. Okay, so we're going from Israel to Iraq. But, but in between, this, anyways, I won't get into all these details. Let's make it quick. But anyways, we get to the border, and they go, okay, um, Israel goes, okay, you pay this much, whatever, whatever. And we said, okay. So we knew at this point, we, this place was in Jordan. We figured this out at this point. 
And we're like, okay, we'll do that. So we pay it. We get in to Jordan. Okay, we have to go over the border. We get into Jordan. They go, you're not supposed to come into this border. This is not a permitted border that you can come into. We're like, well, Israel let us in. (laughs) It was kind of like the short of it is, don't you know we don't care about what Israel thinks? We're Jordan, if you know the relations. It's like, we don't care. So anyways, they end up letting us in, but it's, at this point, it's, it's dark, it's night. And I'm trying to distract my children from the feeling of uncertainty and unusualness. And so I'm like taking our luggage bags and I'm doing my workouts and I'm like, you know, and they're doing things and we're just kind of trying to laugh and make light of it and Cliff's trying to deal with it. And it's getting a little tense and we're just, you know, I'm praying in tongues and I'm talking to them and entertaining. And so we we end up getting in the car, they let us pass, they get a translator, they tell us we weren't supposed to do this, they charge us a lot of money. We could have stayed in the hotel for $600 at that point. <laughs> but we said, okay, God, we, we believe you. We believe you. And so we got in the car. We drove down through. And we were on a path that we were like, well, we hope they don't stop anywhere because this is not a good place for us to stop. We don't want to stop here at all. So again, we're in a place where we're like, we don't like this at all. And we didn't have an understanding except for the Marriott all we knew was there's a Marriott. There was a vision. There was an understanding of where we were going. But all it was was a Marriott. We hadn't really looked enough further. That's not how we always do things, but this is how it was this time. So, but we get there after driving through. It's dark. It's late. It's been difficult. And we get to the Marriott, and it looks palatial. And we're like, wow, what is this for $99? And they come out, they check the engine, they check the, the boot, the, um, what do you guys call it? Trunk. They check the trunk, they check the wheels, they check everything. And we're like, wow, they're, they're really in, you know, in depth here. And then they open the gate, because they're checking for bombs on the vehicle. And so then they let us through the gate, and we're like, we have arrived to paradise. <laughs> I mean, it was a resort, y'all. It was a resort. It was phenomenal. And not only was it a resort, it ended up being that we had not planned anything for our 20-something anniversary because we were going to be in Iraq. And we ended up getting to be there. They upgraded us to the presidential suite. We got to go and have fun at the Dead Sea. We, um, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. Something that I don't even know if we really ever plan. And God planned it for us. And when we got there, we were sitting at the table outside and having dinner, and there's cats, and they run all over the place, and they jump up on the tables, and you're just like, wow, this is really disturbing. (laughs) I don't like eating with cats. So anyways, we're shooing the cats away, you know, but it's like this really nice, nice, nice resort, and they're like, yes, they're the local friends, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you're nicer to animals than the Californians. Anyways, but... Um, um, so they're just, you know, totally, you know, letting this go. And there happens to be this couple and they're sitting at a table and they're from America and we start talking to them and she ends up that she, the pastor that we're working with to do a campaign in India, he is doing all of the skating part. He's a pro skater. Maybe you know him, Eddie Algera. Anyways, he's a world champion. Um, now he's a pastor, but he, I mean, he was groomed the likes of Tony Hawk and all those guys, right? So she, we start talking, and somehow we get on to the fact that, you know, what we do, and, and she goes, oh my gosh. She goes, I, I know what you're talking about. We're like, oh, oh, right, okay, great. And she goes, no, I used to 
organize events to outreach to youth in Missouri for my parents who were pastors. And she said, and I had Eddie Algera in as a guest speaker. And I'm going, wow. And she starts crying. And she said, and I walked away from the Lord. And she said, and I got remarried. And I married somebody and he doesn't understand. And I've been away. And she is, I mean, she's crying and crying. And we're like, oh, wow. And she said, and the Lord would send you all the way here for me. He would find me in Jordan on vacation while I'm living in Italy and I come for vacation. And he would send you to me. And I went, oh, my gosh. I mean, Lord, like, the place was nice. But that was everything. That was everything, Lord. Amen? Another one. Um, I'm sorry, what time did I start? I should have looked. Iraq. We went to Iraq a number of times. My husband's been there a lot. He did youth conferences there and things, but took my family and the Pickett's, amazing family, Grady and Becky Pickett, have been there for a long time. They've stayed the course. My husband first started going over there just before they moved there, and now they've been there for, oh gosh, I guess 12, 15 years, I don't even know, a while. And um, they've went through a lot. So we came over, visited them, brought our kids. She said, nobody ever comes here with their kids. Nobody ever will ever bring their kids here. She said, it's amazing to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. She said, it means the world. She said, because your kids are ministering to my kids. So we went into the, um, into the Syrian refugee camps, sat with those that live in a container. They live in a, like a, you know how we're starting to make those um, shipping containers. We're starting to make these funky, cool, creative houses, you know, whatever. Well, they've got it down over there already. I mean, they figured it out. So they, but, but they're not... They're not quite, you know, as luxurious, obviously, as, you know, they don't, they didn't have windows in theirs even, but they did make it a, uh, they did make it a home. I mean, you know, they've been run out of their country and they've made it a home. And our friends have come to the place where they're helping the kindergartners there to always have food, to make sure that they have food, they don't go without. They're making sure that these refugees that will allow them to come into their house, they're giving them food, they're coming. And, you know, we went all that way and we sat in, and they're having a birthday party. They invited Pastor Grady and Becky to the birthday party. And so we're sitting there, and we're enjoying food with them, and we're dancing with them, and we're, you know, we're all just having fun with them. And, it, and towards the end, Cliff is asking him, what, what can I do? What kind of liberty do I have here? And he said, you have whatever liberty you want, Pastor Grady says, to the, to, because they're Muslim. He says, you have whatever liberty you want. He said, tell them. Tell them whatever you want. So Cliff tells them the gospel. And I'm, I don't have a great end of the story on this one because there's times where there's not an end yet. It's that you go and you do what you're supposed to do by the leading of the Lord. And you say what you're supposed to say. And you love on whom you're supposed to love in. And you walk away and you're just not even quite sure what happened there. All you know is that you planted seeds and that you did what God asked you to do, right? Next one, girl in Tulsa. We're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, we go into this place called Inheritance Juicery. It's like our favorite 
If you haven't been there, you should go. Inheritance Juicery. Anyways, we are, we're downtown at the Inheritance Juicery there, and I, I go to walk in, or no, we go in order, we come back out, we're sitting at a table, and it's kind of like an outdoor, like they have a, an area around it, but you're kind of sitting at a table, but it's sectioned off, and a lady walks up, and she goes, hey, hey, does anybody have any money? And um, I said, excuse me, so I walked, I walked out, there were several people sitting at tables, and everybody kind of looked at each other, and I just had a prompting that I was supposed to do something, so I got up, my girls were sitting there, Cliff was parking the car, and he ended up parking it right in front of the place. I mean, like, right in front. And um, I, I went ahead and said, I'll buy you something to eat. I said, I don't have any money, but I'll buy you something to eat. What would you like? She said, I'd like a smoothie. I said, all right, let me get you a smoothie. So I go to get her a smoothie, and I look down, and I realize she does not have any pants on. She has a jacket tied around her waist and nothing else on. And I went, oh, my gosh, Lord. And I went... I'm so glad that you fight for us. I'm so glad that you care so deeply about us. I'm so glad that the woman at the well, I'm so glad that the woman caught in sin, the very act of it, did not disgust you to the point that you turned away and said, get out of my sight. I'm so glad that you went right where you were and you said, I'll give what I have. And so I said to the, the establishment, I said, can I, can I, can she use your bathroom? And they said, yeah. So I ran to the car in the back of my van. I just happened to have all kinds of clothes. And so I started pulling out, you know, clothes for shoes and shirt and pants and, you know, everything. And um, told her to go in and change. And about the same time, Cliff come out, came out. And my husband doesn't often give money either. It's not like a normal for us. We, we really do endeavor to be led by the Lord because we realize there's a lot of abuse going on in our country right now. And so, um, but such as you have, you know, you lend to the Lord, you know, as you give to the poor. So we, um, so he had given her $10. I said, well, I, I just bought her a smoothie, honey. He said, I thought I was supposed to give her $10. He goes, it's $10, you know. I said, all right. So I sit down with her. So she goes in, she puts on the clothes. She comes out. I sit down with her. And I said, um, I says, what's going on? What's happening? Why are you, why, why are you looking, you know, why'd you show up looking like this? And what's, what's wrong? And she says, she starts quoting scriptures totally incorrectly. I mean, like, terribly. And I said, listen, you've been through enough pain. I said, God loves you. She said, oh, you know, he chastises those he loves. I said, no, no, no. I said, you've been told the wrong thing. I said, God loves you. I said, I don't know what, what's got you here. I said, I know it's got to be a series of events, but God loves you so much that he would have you and I encounter one another today to say this isn't the end. This isn't give up and die, because she was, you know, we had a conversation, and, um, and so I said, can I, can I pray for you, can I lead you to the Lord, no, 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 you know, you know how sometimes these stories go, right, I've worked with homeless a lot, so, um, so, you know, I did what I could do in that situation, and she took what she could take, and she left, there was so much more for her, but yet we did what we were supposed to do as believers, right, right? We didn't look at her and say, get out of my sight, or gross, or can you believe this? We went and did what we could do in that place in that moment. Amen? Okay, last one. I think last one. Yeah, well, maybe last one. Um, <laughs> Tahiti, Tahiti. We went on a round-the-world trip with Tori when she was four months old, uh, five, uh, six months old. Sorry, my husband remembers these details. Amazing, but I sometimes, you know, there's a lot going on. So maybe six months old she was. 
and we were blessed. Cliff was doing a, a painting inside of somebody's house, and he, the guy said, I'm cash poor. I don't want to pay cash is really what it was. And he said, I'll trade you. And he said, how about I trade you frequent flyer miles for um, your work? And we said, okay. So he said, I'll trade you for your trip to, for your tickets to Greece to, to go and do what you need to do in Greece. And we said, okay, great. So Cliff ends up looking and he goes, listen, you know what? For us to fly around the world, it's like really not that many more miles. Like it's really close to the same amount. And so the guy said, Really? Like, let, let's see this, you know? He says, okay, we'll do it. So he ends up, um, he ends up saying, yeah, go ahead and um, take those. So we did a round-the-world trip on short on, in business and first class. It was phenomenal. And as we're journeying, we had one last leg left, and that was to Tahiti, and that was going to be like our, uh, oh, no, no, let me back up. That's not right. We were in Israel we had, we had done ministry in Greece and France. We'd done youth conferences in Greece, camps, Greece, France. Um, we went to Israel, met with a ministry. And then as I was in Israel, the Lord spoke to me and said, you have a, uh, an opportunity, you have an invite to go to Tahiti. I want you to take it. Go witness to that man. I thought, wow, that was a while ago. This was a ski client that Cliff had in Sun Valley who was from Tahiti. I'm like, I haven't thought about that guy. I'm in the shower, but, you know, I hear, I hear the Lord. I come out. I say, Cliff, the Lord just said to go to Tahiti, that we're supposed to use these tickets to stop in Tahiti. So we do the rest of our trip. We minister in Singapore and Australia, and we go through South Korea, and we stop in Hawaii, minister in Hawaii, and then we have to fly to L.A. in order to get back to Tahiti. That was the route. So we get to LA, and we, don't have, we have like $50 left to our name. And we're like, we can't go any further. We can't do anything more. And I said, Cliff, it's, it's done. Like, if there's no money in the mail, we're done. And he says, yeah, that's fine, honey. Like, we have really went a long way. I said, all right, good. I'm glad you understand. So we go to the mail, you know, nothing. We go to his, we had a house then in Oklahoma, and his mom lived in LA, and so we stopped in with her and visited and it was done. We were like, okay, our trip's done. We're going back to Tulsa now. And so we were sitting there, and I said, <sighs> I woke up the next morning, and I started packing the bags. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I heard the Lord speak to us in Israel, in the shower. I know what he said. We have to go. He goes, all right. I mean, Cliff's like, game on. I mean, you know, he, he's, got, I'm, he's fully there. It doesn't matter if he has $5 in his pocket. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I, we pack up, we, we go over, and he says, um, um, we get to the airport. Oh, we missed the f first flight. We're late. We missed the first flight. We get to the second. I'm not boring you, am I? Okay. So we, we get to the we get miss the first flight. We get to the second flight. They say you missed your first flight and you don't even have a ticket to Tahiti. This this oh snap this this um, itinerary you have used all of your coupons and you have no more. And I went, oh. So did God say it? She goes but we're going to give it to you, but you don't get to ride in first or business. I said, that's all right. <laughs> we're going to go do what God told us to do. So we get on the plane, we go over, and we're sitting, and basically what Cliff and I had planned was, if we get there and there's nothing that's happened, we'll just get on the plane and we'll fly right back. No big deal. And so I have a baby, okay? And I'm nursing, and I'm feeding baby food sometimes to her. And I'm, I get over, and we're sitting there, and 
Um, I go, Cliff, we got problems. He goes, no, we don't. I said, yeah, we do. And Cliff, no, we don't. <laughs> and he said, I said, Cliff, the flight doesn't leave out for three days. He goes, I said, there's not a return flight to LA for three days. He goes, oh, okay. I said, now what's the plan, Cliff? He goes, um, he goes, let's just sit here for a minute. <laughs> so we're sitting there at the airport, which I go, everybody's leaving, Cliff. What are we doing? He goes, let's take a, ta a taxi or something, a bus or something to Maria, to a next, the next, uh, oh no, the ferry to the next island, Maria. I said, all right, take the ferry over. I understand some of you guys are going to think that I'm absolutely insane when I tell you this story, okay? I've told this story, I think, once or twice before. Um, and I didn't tell even the details I'm going to tell you now. <clears throat> but I, I, we get to Maria, and I said, um, we're, we're not... We get to Maria, and I'm like, Cliff, what are we going to do? He goes, what do you have in your heart? I said, nothing. He goes, what do you have in your heart? I said, nothing. He goes, what do you have in your heart? I said, nothing. He goes, well, I have one thing in my heart. I said, what's that? He goes, we're supposed to call Glenn and Kim. I said, it's the same thing I have in my heart. <laughs> he said, I thought you didn't have anything in your heart. I said, well, you know, like, we don't ever call people. I mean, like, ever. Like, so what are you talking about? He goes, yes, but Glenn told me I'm not as spiritual as you are in regards to these matters, and I don't hear from God in these things that you need. Could you please call me if you actually need something? <laughs> I said, wow, that's pretty specific. He said, so... Our cell phones back in the day when she was four months old, you know, a cell phone call, how much it would cost, right? So you had to be like, I even trust God in this. I'm talking about whenever you're stepping out and God has told you that there are people to reach to go, to, to go the length, okay? We're not forgetting the subject here. We're going the length. I'm trying to hurry this up. And so, so he calls, he makes the call and I'm like, just the call alone. How much is this call going to cost? And we're sitting there with, with Tori, and he calls Glenn, and Glenn and Kim, who have really been, they actually, uh, who were very prosperous, and the family ended up having some situations in business, and things really changed uh, in a very quick, dramatic way. And um, they said, we literally are not in a position to do something right now. And I went, oh, wow, well, okay. And then Kim yells in the background, no, we just sold those tires. Give them the $1,000 from the tires we just sold. I went, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm talking about these people like really had a lot, okay? So to hit this point for them was weird. Now they're not, they came out of it, they're not there. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling off, I shouldn't have told their names actually. But anyways, so, um, so they, but they gave what they had to help us. And so here we are, we have one guy in our heart, and we told him this. We said, we're here, we did something that would be crazy to a lot of people, we've come all this way, but we have this one man in our heart, and we don't even know, we, I, and we haven't seen him in years, he's affluent, he, he came to Sun Valley, he skied with Cliff, I mean, this is like very uh, abnormal. I mean, in all of our abnormal things that we do, this one is very abnormal. <laughs> so... So he goes, so, so we, we call the guy, and he goes, I actually moved to um, Belgium. I married a Belgian diplomat's daughter. And we're like, did God say it? He did say it. He was there in the islands. He literally said that to us like that. He said, I actually moved to Belgium. And he goes, but I happened 
to be here for a few days. I've come all this way for a few days, and we're like, wow. So here we are, we've got $1,000, and we've basically it's like 200 to do something with the hotel maybe or something, and then we try to go get flights to get over where he is because he's on this little islet called Manihi, and we're like, oh my goodness, you know, this is very detailed. And we go to get our flights, and we can't get our flights, and then they send us to another place, and we just happen to have a passport photo, and we get discounted flights, and I mean, our money is just stretching. It's amazing. And so we get out to Manihi, and... He says, what, what do you guys do? What is this unison harvest? And Cliff says, you know, tells him a little bit. And then he says, why don't you come out on the boat with me tomorrow, Cliff? So I'm sitting in an overwater bungalow that has a glass thing. He's given it to us for a local rate of $199. It's like a $1,000 bungalow, okay? So this $199 rate was phenomenal. And I'd never been in an overwater bungalow before. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, so he goes out, I'm praying, I'm believing, you know, believing God. Cliff and I actually shared a meal that night before, because <laughs> we were trying to make our money stretch, but we know we're supposed to witness the sky. And he goes out in the boat with him, and he says, my whole family owns all of this area. We didn't know any of this stuff about him. My, whole, my family owns all the pearl farms in this area. We're like, wow, he goes, I actually went to Pepperdine. We're like, oh wow, this is getting more intricate by the minute because we'd lived, you know, we'd lived in that area. And so we were like, wow. And he says, um, so what did you come all the way out here for? So Cliff's talking to him, and he, he's, you know, tell, presenting Jesus to him, saying, you know, we just really believe we were supposed to come say hi to you. You said to, you know, if you're ever in the area, come say hi. <laughs> so we're coming to say hi, but, but he, Cliff ends up giving him a DVD called Noah's Ark, and he starts talking about the gospel. And he says, you know, I really believe that the gospel is a crutch. He says, I really believe it's for weak people. I really believe that it's not the answer. And he says, but you've come all this way to tell me this. And I thought, and we didn't lead him to the Lord. But the Lord would leave the 99 to go find the one. Now, I know I've told a lot of extreme stories here about countries, and that doesn't necessarily have to be your story. <laughs> you don't have to go to all these places and all, do all these things. But you know what? There is a, there's a world that has had a cry that's turned into an aching scream. They are aching. They are screaming. They are begging for somebody to help. And the reason why we have to get off of our fruit loop off of those fruit loops, excuse me, and get onto good fruit full loops is because the world needs answers. The world needs us. The world needs us to fulfill what we're supposed to do. And that might mean taking a little risk in the store and opening our mouth and saying, do you know God has a great plan for you? Do you know I just can't shake the fact that I need to tell you how much God loves you? Just being bold. You don't, might not have to go all the way to Tahiti on a dime literally, and try to go witness to somebody. But he might say, get up and go across town and go into a specific store and go tell somebody about me. Amen? So I know that we often have this, um, oh, last one. This is the last one, because I'm not going to tell you about Cliff in North Korea. I'm going to tell you about mine. Last one. I was depressed. I was lonely. I was sad. I couldn't shake it. I had been a couple years after I suffered a major loss, and, um, and I called up Cliff. Called, Cliff called me up. He said, what's wrong? I said, what's going on? I said, I'm just, I'm feeling terrible. I, I don't know how to shake this thing. Usually I can, but man, I am really struggling today. He said, what's the last thing God told you to do? 
said, I don't know, Cliff. God tells me a lot of things to do. Like, can you help me out here instead of just fixing everything? So I went in the shower. I started praying. I said, Lord, what was the last thing you told me to do? He said, I actually told you very clearly what to do. I said, oh, okay. Well, my husband could, yeah, okay. (laughs) Praise the Lord for husbands. So praise the Lord for God, for, uh, you know. And so I, so the Lord spoke to me. He said, I told you to make Rice Krispie Treat, or I told you to make treats and give them out to the community in Sun Valley. I said, okay. So I made gluten-free Rice Krispie Treats and regular chocolate chip cookies. And I said to my girls, I said, what do you want to do? I can't remember. No, Lexi was a baby, wasn't she? It was you. And she said, mom, put on there for God so loved the world that he gave because it was near Christmas season. And so we put on there and we went into the grocery stores, the post offices, the banks, everywhere. And we gave out these treats. Let them ch- we had a basket and we let them choose. Here, what would you like? And they chose and they said, what, how much is it? What do you want? What fundraiser is it? No, it's nothing. We just... We just wanted to be a blessing. We just wanted to share the goodness of God with you. We just, wanted to, we just wanted to be a light. We just want whatever it was that the Holy Spirit prompted us to say. We pray, there were some people we prayed for. There were some people we witnessed to. There were some people we just smiled at and said, take the free gift. But we did what the Lord said. And you know, after I did that, that spirit of heaviness and loneliness and depression was completely gone. Completely gone. Hallelujah. So I know we have this, I wrote this down. I know women have this drive to often help and do. I'm not going to finish that one, actually. I know that we do have this drive to do, and, to, and we find ourselves being super busy. But we have to be intentional about our time in God, because this life is so short I want to give you a vision of perishing people. Without a vision, my people cast off restraint. I want to give you a vision, my husband says, and he does a sermon that's of people perishing. I want to give you a vision of perishing people. I want you to leave here today and say, this isn't country club Christianity. This is a place that requires more of me than just me getting cake, having fun. It's time to share it too. Amen? Amen? We're going to go forward and do all that God's told us to do, but we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going to go the way that I was going to go, but I do want to give a couple of scriptures for reference in that to be a disciple, to do, be a disciplined person who does what God says to do, we must be full of the Holy Spirit and able to introduce others to him, the Holy Spirit, which means with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Acts 1.8, you know this, we shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need him, the Holy Spirit, to be a powerful witness. I remember when I got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, it was like I got born again again. It was powerful. I started going into place, the places that I frequented, I started going in there and preaching the gospel. They went, what in the world? They were shocked. Acts 2, one, verses 1 through 4, you guys know this, they began to speak in tongues. Then you go down further in Acts chapter 8, verse 15, when they arrived... They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 8.17. Sorry, I'm going so fast. Anybody want me to repeat any of these? Acts 1.8. Acts 2.1-4. Acts 8.15. Acts 8.17. 
They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We need him, the Holy Spirit, to be able to lay down our lives to fulfill the call in our lives like Ananias. And I don't think that I gave them the scripture. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, let's see, not, chapter 9, verse 10. Now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said to him, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at that house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him. He said, brother, saw the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So let's see. Okay. So here we have Ananias who had to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to bring the Holy Spirit to Saul. Now that was, you know, Ananias was really nervous because Saul had been killing Christians, right? I mean, he was like, I don't want to do this. What's a hard thing that the Lord might be asking you to do? You know, I started off and I said, what's the thing that brings you joy? But what is a hard thing that the Lord might be asking you to do? Do you have one that you can write down? What's the hard thing that the Lord might be asking you to do? So you can be empowered too, because the Holy Spirit shows us things to come, gives us power to be a witness, strengthens our most holy faith. So this is what I want to do this morning in ending, is I want to give an uh, an opportunity for you to get filled with the Holy Spirit, if you aren't, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then I want to remind you to stir up the gift that's within you. Stir it up.